Psalm chapter 16. If you don't mind, shall we rise up and take that psalm together? Psalm chapter 16. If possible, God bless you. I wanted it from NIV. Because in King James, there's a statement that was made there that if you don't understand it, you might get it wrong. But NIV is good, so we'll read from NIV. One to go. Keep me safe, my God. Oh. I say to the Lord, you are the, my Lord. Apart from you, I have nothing good. As for the saints who are in the land, they are glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made me not secure. The boundaries lie falling in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also rests secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your only one see decay. You have made me known to the part of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand. Amen. Amen. May that be our portion in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you. We exalt you this morning because the entrance of your word this morning will give light to us. We give understanding to our simple hearts in the name of Jesus. That your word this morning, oh God, will not just be for hearing only, but Father, if there's a requirement for us to do, you'll give us grace to be doers of it in the name of Jesus. Your word, oh God, will come to lift us up. Your word will come, oh God, to deliver us. It will come, oh God, to bring us to that place where we are meant to be in you, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that the words this morning will cause a revelation of who you are to us, that we shall know you better, we shall know you more, in the name of Jesus. Please, Lord, speak to us. We arrest every heart, every distraction, every... Thing that want to raise its ugly head above your counsel this morning. We arrest them and will bring them to the subjection of your word. Thank you, my Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You can have your seats wonderfully. Amen. So, the scripture that we read is a very interesting scripture. Very interesting. Um, but the verse 11 there says, you've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There are pleasures forevermore. That God will fill us with joy in his presence, and at his right hand, there shall be pleasures forevermore. These are two evidences of God's presence. Two ways you will know whether you're in God's presence is the joy that God gives, and the pleasure that is there. This morning, quickly, I want to talk to us about enjoying the presence of God. Because it's possible for you to be in church and actually not be enjoying the presence of God. It's possible for you to do your quiet time every day and not enjoy it. Um, 
while I know that this morning is Thanksgiving, I'm conscious of the fact that um, I have to deliver this message in a very, very short time. And I need your spiritual heart, your, 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 your heart of discernment, not your rational heart, not the one that thinks, but the one that receives the word of God this morning. And if you struggle to receive this word, then, um, or rather, let me just say that I pray that you're able to follow and receive it in the name of Jesus. So that scripture is very, very interesting. Joy is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives joy. It's not based on what you do or what you have or what you do not have. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives that joy. So when you're in the presence of God, I'm not saying when you're in church, when you're actually in God's presence, when you're actually in the place that God is, when you're able to bring the presence of God to where you are, whether to your house, to your workplace, whether you're even walking on the street, the presence of God can actually be with you. He says, when that is happening, there's joy that fills your heart. It is the Holy Spirit that gives that. Now, the pleasures forevermore is on the other side as well. Because when there's joy in your heart, the Holy Spirit gives that to you. What joy, what uh, pleasures at your right hand really indicate is that your life becomes pleasurable to God. Because oftentimes what we intend or what we look at that scripture to mean is that, oh, because we are in the presence of God, there's pleasure. But rather it's the other way around that at his right hand there's pleasure forevermore. Your life becomes pleasurable. The things that you are doing at that time becomes pleasing unto God. Are you with me in church? And I'll take us on this journey on the presence of God starting from when it was first revealed to us in the Bible. This presence of God was first revealed to us at creation. When God intends that, hey, you know what? I want to create these people that I want to have fellowship with. And he created a garden for himself where he will meet with us. What's the name of the garden? Eden. Now, that garden, the name Eden actually was not translated. Because there's no word in English that can fit that translation. Are you with me? So, Eden is actually the way as well that it is in the Greek word. It's not translated because the closest meaning to it is the word that is translated pleasure in this place. Right? So, if they had called it, based on translation, garden of pleasure, it would have downplayed it. Are you with me? So, pleasure was just one part of what Eden meant. So, Eden was the first place that God revealed himself to us as, hey, I want people to be in my presence. I want to create these people to be in my presence. Am I making sense, church? Now, the, when you look at in Genesis chapter 2, you realize the Bible talks about four waters or four streams or four rivers that goes through Eden, isn't it? Pishon, Gishon, Edekel, Euphrates. Four rivers that were mentioned in that place. Look at the meaning of those four words as well. Pishon means increase. Gihon means breakthrough. Edekel means speed or rapid or being something happening quickly. Euphrates means fruitfulness. 
He says, these four rivers waters the garden. Are you with me? That means at Eden, in the presence of God, these four rivers walk. Are you? Because the Bible says that the four are from the same source in Eden. So it is possible that outside Eden, outside Eden, there's, you cannot enjoy the four at the same time. You can only have the privilege of the four where? In the presence of God. Are you with me? You want breakthrough, it's see, listen. And that's what happens to most Christians, right? You realize that at times, oh, we have this amazing breakthrough in this area of our career, but in this area, things are struggling. It is that we must learn to harness or be in God's presence by time. That is the only time we can enjoy those four things. Moses, another point where it was brought to us. Moses was another one. Moses from Genesis, Exodus chapter, 33, chapter 3 had, had an encounter with God, right? Had a body bush experience. Moses did not just have that. God delivered him, or rather God used him to deliver Israel. That because of Moses' ministry, a whole nation perished. Are you with me? A whole nation perished. Moses experienced uh, manna being given. Moses experienced or threw in water came out from the rock. Are you with me? But with all these things, Moses was enjoying the manifestations and the power of God without actually the presence of God. That was why in chapter 33, he said, God, if your presence will not go with us, I will not go from here anymore. It is possible, church, that we have all these blessings. God can bless us. Is All these things testify of who God is. Are you following me in church? All this is the fire of who God is. You, we, we can enjoy all the blessings. God can deliver us from all evil. Healing can take place. It does not really mean that the presence of God is there. Are you speaking? Hence, when Moses had to make that prayer that God will need your presence now more than ever before, what was God's response? In chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, God was like, okay, you know what? I will go with you. And God said, in, I think in verse 19, God now said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And we allow my goodness to pass before you so that you can understand how my presence works. We're going to see that later. Are you speaking? So you realize that the presence of God is not something that is it's not based on things. Let me give you another one. Stephen. You remember the Apostle Stephen? The Apostle Stephen. Bible says that Stephen was being stoned. Stephen was being stoned. Guess what happened to him? While he was being stoned, heaven opened and he saw God. He saw God. He saw the presence of God and hence all the stoning did not matter anymore. That's what the presence of God does. Let me give you another one. Isaiah chapter, from verse 1 to chapter 1 to verse chapter 6 or to chapter 5. Isaiah was a prophet prophesying, you know, judgment over everybody in Israel. Judgment, 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 judgment. He's a prophet. Whatever he says comes to pass. He was speaking the mind of God. 
But God needed things to change. God needed to speak. Guess what God did? God revealed himself to him, allowed him to just see his glory. What did Isaiah that was prophesying woe, 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 woe in chapter 5? He wrote to everybody in chapter 5. Immediately he saw the presence of God. Guess what his statement was? Woe is me. <laughs> you know, at times, condemnation or seeing judgment or seeing wrong in people is because we have not experienced God. When you experience God, you'll be like Isaiah. You see how horrible you yourself you are. From that point on, the story, everything Isaiah started saying was different. Do you know what he started talking about? Redemption. God have mercy. That, that was why it was easy for him to see the coming of Jesus. Now, see, the presence of God is significant with the glory of God. Because everywhere God is, his glory is also there. That means God is there in his fullness. You can see the splendor of his majesty. You can see the excellence of his power. You can see the awesomeness of who he is. Everywhere God is. Everywhere the presence of God is. Now, remember the topic this morning quickly is enjoying. How you can ensure that you're enjoying God's presence. Let us see how it was revealed to us. God started with Eden. Am I right? The man rejected Eden. You know the story. What was the next move that happened in the time of Moses? God said, all right, Moses, we're going to do it like this. Have an ark of the covenant. Put, do it like this so that anywhere that ark is, my presence will show up. There's many scriptures we can read, but I'm not going to bother. Right? So anywhere the ark of God is, the presence of God was there. Until when Jeremiah prophesied about it. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Jeremiah spoke about it that in those days, when your number have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say the ark of the covenant. People will no longer say the ark of the covenant. It will never enter into their mind or be remembered. It will not be missed or will another one be made. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. So what that happened was that they followed it after a while. Then suddenly, most David thought in his heart and said, it is not nice for me to be living in temples, uh, in palaces, when the ark of God is outside. Right? So he decided to build a temple. We know the story. Am I right? Just follow me. And then, after a while, after a while, the Babylonians came and invaded the temple. Right? They took the prized things in the temple, and as such, it was at that point that it's believed that the Ark of the Covenant also was stolen away, right? Because today nobody knows where it is, right? What now happens is, it now started a period in history where the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the temple was there, but there was no presence. 
Are you with me? The temple was there. There was no God in there anymore. Because remember what God said. Anywhere the ark will be, it will be there. If Jeremiah prophesied about the time when it will even get to the heart of people that you don't even remember that ark anymore. Isn't it Charlotte? Good. And then a period came in humanity when it was said that God was silent. I want to just follow this story a bit. Right? When it was said that God was silent, that's the period between Malachi and Matthew. God was silent. There was no God in the temple. Man now created his own religion. Right? Hence why the role of the sand engines and all these people now came to be. They now just started following religious rites rather than what God actually wanted. What had happened was that people started worshipping God without God. Which is the same way that today as Christians, it's possible for you to be worshipping God without God. When you cannot understand the presence of God, when you don't know when God is around, when you don't know how to be in God's presence, church, you might just be doing religion. You might not be different from the Israelites who were going religiously to the temple that God was in there. So, fast forward. Jesus now came. Right? Jesus now came and met that woman in John chapter 4. That woman from Samaria. Remember that story very, very well. And they had the dialogue there. The woman said, Sir, you guys said, we worship a God that we don't know. That is only the Israelites or the Jews that can go to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ responded to that woman and said, there's coming a time where you will not need to go to Jerusalem anymore, right? But those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Look at it. In the beginning, Eden was a place of worship, right? It followed suit by anywhere the ark was, was a place of worship. Then it follows suit that it was a temple that was the world of worship. At that point, Jesus just canceled everything backward. Right? That the carrying of God's presence is now in each and every one of us. Right? If you don't know that the presence of God is inside of you, if you don't know that the presence of you are the temple of God, and you don't treat yourself as the temple of God, Listen, you might be a Christian without the Christ in front. Aha. You might be a Christian without the Christ in front. You need to understand that, hey, now I am the temple of God. You need to understand that everywhere I am, I am the temple of God. Whatever I do has to become what God wants to do. I used to be in church. So true worship, therefore, has to be from only people who are spiritually generated or spiritually regenerated. If you are not born again, God cannot dwell in you. Right? And if God cannot, listen, if you are living in sin, God cannot dwell in you. 
If you are not ready to do the will of God, God cannot dwell in you. And if you're not going to allow God to dwell in you, guess what? There's no point being in church. There's no point being in church. And when you come to church, listen. Bible says that the same rain that falls on the unrighteous falls on the righteous. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get wet by coming. You're going to get blessed. You're going to share testimony in Jesus' mighty name. Right? Everybody's going to be fine. But does that mean that all of us are going to make it at the end of the day? Does that mean that we are? Let us not deceive ourselves. The only way is by you now ensuring that your body is completely for the worship of God. Eden was the most relevant place in this world. I hope you knew that because God was there. After Eden was no more relevant, where's Eden now? It's history. Where's the temple now? Jesus Christ even said that I will destroy it. In, it will be destroyed in three days, and it will be, in three days will be built again. Irrelevant. Now, if I am the temple of God, if I am, it's the worship of God is now inside of me. Of what point is the church? Isn't it? Of what point in the church? Because yeah, somebody will now say, yeah, I'm worshiping God on myself. I can worship God by myself. Since I'm spirit and truth, if I'm doing it in spirit and truth, right, then I don't need all of you. But that will be contrary to what the Bible says as well. Because in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, it says, as you come to in the living, the living stone, rejected by women and chosen by God and precious to him. Since you also, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to, to, be, whole, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So what we do together, what we come around is that, hey, the church should be a body of people who individually are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And when we come together, guess what we're doing? We're offering unto him. So when we come to church on Sunday, what we should be doing is offering unto God a service, sacrifice that's acceptable to him. Coming to church is not for the networking. Coming to church, honestly, is not for you to enjoy the music. Even though choir is trying to motivate you. Coming to church is not for the cake that we'll cut later today. It's not for this better celebration. Coming together of brethren is for one singular purpose. To offer sacrifice unto God. So every time, you know, we say when you come to church, you must have an expectation in your heart. Right? Oftentimes what we're looking for is the expectation of the manifestation. Church, we need to start moving away from chasing after manifestation. Right? And chasing after God. Let it be that that song, I'm chasing after you, start to make sense. Right? And I'm chasing after your money. Or I'm chasing after your healing. Or I'm chasing after what I need. Do you let it now start to make sense that, hey, every time we're coming. See, when you're coming to God, to church, you're thinking that, yeah, okay, I'm carrying God. God, you're with me. All right, with all the brethren today, we're going to come and we're going to offer you this Sweet smelling savor. That is when we can create the presence of God in this place. 
Have we not realized? Do you know why you don't enjoy Sunday service? Do you know why Sunday service is like a church? You? Do you want to know why? Because we're not carrying God's presence. We're not. Because if together you come into this place, you're worshiping God, and the cloud fills this place. Even when it is hot, you think that there's AC. You forget everything. You know, you see, you start seeing, you start, you start having deeper, deeper revelations of who God is. Then all those, the things that you think that you don't even need, or the things that you think you need, becomes irrelevant. If it's a lie, you ask Solomon. Solomon did it. We haven't thanksgiving today, praise God. Solomon did thanksgiving and offered a thousand burnt offerings unto God. Somebody actually said it's actually 144,000 rams that was offered. When he finished, he did not pray. God was the one that prayed. Solomon, tell me, what do you need? Because God saw. The Bible says that God saw that Solomon offered this much. It wasn't the number. It was the heart that, you know what, I will offer you anything. God, it is you that will get tired. Can you say that you are ready to worship God to that point? Not like before service starts, you're already looking at time. Listen, it's only two hours that God asks for in a week. Yet it's a burden to a lot of us. There are three things, or there are three positions that each one of us have to get to. And those are the three positions that are written in that Psalm chapter 16 that we read. We have to get to it individually for us to be able to offer or be that person or be that house of worship that God wants us to be. Number one, you need to get to the point. Give me that verse 2 and 3, Psalm 16 verse 2 and 3. You need to get to the point that you are nothing without God. You know, we can say it. If you accept that you are nothing without God, right, you will love to stay in his presence. Right? If you get to the point that unless God tells you to go to work, I'd rather just stay here because there's no point going if you're not going to go with me. Are you with me? You need to get to that point that you actually nothing. God, if they remove you from me, I'm done. Look at the way David said it. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I, am, I have no good thing. You need to get to that point that everything, the fiber, the last of your body, the last cell of your body, if not, if God just remove one cell, or if God should just tell one cell to multiply itself by eye effect, it becomes cancer. You need to get to that point of accepting that, God, I am nothing without you. Amen. The second thing, the second position that you need to get to, or all of us need to get to as a church, individually, collectively, is that we must get to understanding what our inheritance is God is. Verse 5 and 6. Because when you don't know who you are in Christ, you've missed it. You must get to know who you are in Christ. I'm conscious of it. Jesus, so Romans chapter 8, said we are more than conquerors. 
I'll quickly say this about who you are in Christ. Please, follow me one minute. The Bible from Genesis to Malachi showed to us different people who were conquerors. Abraham was a conqueror because he, for him to obtain righteousness, he had to go through a lot of things. He conquered by his works, right? By obeying God to the letter, to the point of even sacrificing his own, or attempting to sacrifice his own child, right? Leaving his father, his father and mother, and just following God. God, you say I should go to the north. Because God promised him something that he never obtained. Right? This same Moses that we read about conquered. Did he actually conquer? No, he did not conquer because where he was meant to get to, he did not get there. Yeah, he didn't get to the promised land. David conquered. God gave us different set of people who obtained righteousness, who achieved, who became who God wants them to be. And also the New the Old Testament also shows several people who were meant to be but never was. Like Samson. Right? Jesus Christ now came and said, when you look at it from Genesis till dates, several of them were great people. But the least of us is greater than that. So while they achieved conquering by the works that they did, Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Your conquering, listen to me, if it is for you to be a conqueror, then you'll have to work. You'll have to achieve it by works. You think that the pain that you are going through is work? You're not going through anything. Go and ask Joseph. You think that the calamities that you suffered? No. But Joshua is saying that for us, it is not about the works because our own is imputed to us. That before you even started, you have won. I thought somebody would be excited. Before you even started, you have won. Does that mean that the devil is not going to try? Come on, he's going to try whether you believe it or not. That's why it keeps coming. A simple example. Jesus Christ told Peter, come upon the water. Right? And Peter started walking. Then suddenly, like you and I, paid attention to the, and he started sinking. But Jesus allowed him to drown. He was more than conqueror. You need to understand who you are in God in this regard. If you don't know what your inheritance is, you'll be working based on harvests. Harvest is based on works. Inheritance is based on covenants. What work did Isaac do? Nothing. Do you know why? His father did all the work. He just enjoyed the inheritance. What about Solomon? David did all the righteousness work. He, David did all the work. From the beginning, David was fighting. Through the time of Solomon, not one war. You must know the sacrifice that Jesus has given to you. That A, we, you and I, we are, we are not conquerors because a conqueror has to fight. You are more than it. You are just meant to take the spoil of war. Then the third thing that you need to understand, or the third position that you must be, is that you must set the Lord always before you. When Moses 
cried unto God and said, God, I'm not going from here. God said, I will let my goodness go before you. Right? Go so that you can see me. Listen, you must see God fully. God, God, God's principles, God's instruction, God's words, God's goodness must always be in front of you. Are you with me? Your cue cannot be taken from human philosophy. If your cue is taken from human philosophy, guess, what, guess what's going to happen? You're going to end up as an human. Your cue is meant to be taken from God's position. You must be like David in that scripture that says, your path I've always set before me. Even my heart instructs me to do that. That is what must happen. It is when you start setting God before you, you start setting God before you, start setting God before you, that is when you can actually key into the person that God wants you to be, into who God wants you to be. And I pray that God's going to help us in Jesus' mighty name. And it's amazing that today, as a church, we're thanking God. I was just bad on our head. I just appreciate God.